when I got there, they told me that he had zero chance of survival. So it wasn't a worst case scenario. It was, you need to prepare to say goodbye. Do you have, you know, end of life? Do you have power of attorney? Like, what do you have? Like, do you have your documents? Do you have whatever? We have nothing. (laughs) Like, we didn't get to this. gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and Lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and we are back, baby. Season four, 2024, January 24th. It's going to be a great season. One of the topics that I wanted to explore a lot this season is marriage. But I didn't just want to talk to people who have like these cute little love stories and are just having the time of their lives. Um, I wanted to talk to people who had, who, who do genuinely have beautiful and amazing marriages, but people who have been through some trials, um, some of the more extreme trials, because of course every marriage has trials. Uh, and so I'm really excited to share the batch of interviews that I have this season. They're not all about marriage, but I, I handpicked a few to focus on um, for the season. And I think you're going to find them really encouraging, really inspiring, even if you're not married, because I think it's so important to hear stories from people who have been resilient in really trying circumstances and are able to speak about those trials with so much grace and even um a sense of gratitude, you know, it's, it's so hard to, I think, not be bitter or resentful or just really dejected when life, um, throws you a lot of, of hurdles. And so the people that I talk to just have, uh, such amazing spirits. Uh, and so I think these are going to be some really encouraging episodes. You know, I try, I have like, I think my episodes are my interviews can be pretty wide ranging. Like some of them will be more academically focused or intellectually focused. Um, and others are more like people telling their stories. And so if you more prefer like the storytelling type episodes, I think you'll really enjoy a lot from this season. If you are loving the crab and the cross podcast, there is a brand new way that you can support me, which is by purchasing some merch. I have four-inch magnets and stickers featuring the fantastic Crab and the Cross logo designed by yours truly, featuring all of the special little Easter eggs of Southern Maryland, which is where this podcast hails from. If you know, you know. If you don't know, you can listen to the little... uh, advert that I put out like during the break that talks about the merch and I give you a little explanation of the iconography if you will of the design but you can purchase one or more of those magnets or stickers for just five dollars you can click the link in the description um it would be a great you know what it would be a great birthday present for me if you're listening today on the day that the podcast has been released January 24th is my birthday. And that would be just a gift to me. 
and it would be a gift to you. Isn't that amazing? Um, I'd also love for you to make sure you are subscribed or following. A lot of times people will start listening to a podcast, but they won't actually hit that follow button. Uh, That helps me know how many people are tuned in. And if you are feeling generous, but not quite in the monetary department, um, a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, or especially a very thoughtful written review on Apple would do me a lot of good. Um, I'm also on Instagram at the Crab and the Cross podcast, on Twitter at Mary Rose Depp. And if you didn't hear, I have a brand new podcast that has nothing to do with this podcast. It's called the Catholic Dating Podcast. So it that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but share it with your single friends and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's doing really well. Um, I have, uh, only released 10 episodes so far, but it's, it's, it it might rival this one, to be honest, in terms of popularity, but that's okay. The Crab and the Cross will always have a place in my heart. So you can support me with that podcast as well. My guest today is the incredible Natalie Peters, who shares quite a harrowing tale of a tragedy that happened just 11 weeks into her marriage um, of a night she thought her husband was not going to make it to the next day. And she, uh, you know, all, all stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and that tragic accident was not the end of her story. Um, she shares a lot about their love story prior to that moment, what happened in that moment, and how it has changed their lives. And So I know you're going to really enjoy it. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Natalie Peters. Natalie Peters grew up in Michigan, where she studied philosophy at Ave Maria College. She later earned a master's in decorative arts at the Smithsonian Institution. While in college, she met her future husband, Thomas Peters. A few weeks after their wedding, Tom was in a swimming accident that left him paralyzed. They persevered through this early challenge and recently celebrated 10 years of marriage. In 2022, Natalie opened District Color Studio, a personal color analysis studio. You can learn more about her life, marriage, and creative work at her Instagram page, at Natalie Z. Peters. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So it's funny, I actually... um, I've known who your husband was for a long time. I remember when I was in, I want to say like freshman year of college, I had this high school teacher who like organized these little like philosophy club meetings like at his house. And he just like would reach out to random people and get them to come speak. And so I don't even know if you, I don't think you were even married at the time. So, but I remember your husband came down and like gave a talk in this guy's living room to like 20 teenagers. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So then when I, I think I like later, you know, more recently like found you on Instagram and I was like, oh, wait, I think I know this connection because I remember <laughs> hearing the story of like, you know, him being in this accident. And I remember we sent him like this big prayer bouquet and all this stuff. So it's just like a really small world. <laughs> it is. It's definitely a small Catholic world for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I just have been like really inspired by some of the, the things you've written about your life. Um, you know, it's social media. 
people often talk about like the negative side of social media and and that certainly exists but like there's this sort of like little oasis of like catholic instagram where people are just sharing really um kind of honest and 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 beautiful like insights into into their life and i think it it tends to be like a much more like uplifting space you know Yes. It's the, it's the positive side. It's the social <laughs> media for good. Right. I think that's what keeps me coming back to it as well. I feel like at some point we all probably want to just leave all of it. Right. Right. Um, but it is that, it is that community. It's, it's, it is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of want to know just a little bit more about um, you and about you and, and um, Tom's story. Um, so can you share a little bit more about how you guys met? I know you met in college, but didn't date till later. So how did that all, all come to be? Yeah. So we met in college. Um, I was dating someone else at the time. It was so spicy. <laughs> I don't even remember our first official meeting, but my husband remembers it very vividly because he knew he wanted to get married the day we met. So to, we you? Had- <laughs> to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so we have very different memories of that, that first encounter, but um Later through college, we became good friends. And after college, um, we began dating. So something that I always just really appreciated and and really loved about him was he was just always very um, straightforward and honest about his intentions and his feelings. And he just definitely pursued me with, um, with just a lot of honesty and a lot of love. So that just struck me as something very different. You don't, you don't run into that a lot. So uh, definitely. So wait, wait, in college, were was he like in your friend circle or you just kind of like mere acquaintances? We were acquaintances. We met through mutual friends. Um, and I would say probably a couple of years later started to become really good friends, the two of us. And we were friends for quite a while. And I was very honest with him about how I was not interested in a relationship. I was kind of still dealing with the previous one and Um, he was just very honest that he had feelings for me and wanted to be friends. And, um, so we became really good friends. And then the more I got to know him and the closer we got, just started to fall in love with him. And, um, right around then he actually moved to DC for his second masters. Oh, wow. We started dating right around the same time. So then we began long-term relationship. Oh, wow. A year and a half. Yeah. So um, were you still finishing up like your undergrad then, or were you, working? I was, yeah, okay. I was finishing my undergrad. I had started working, um, and we did about a year and a half of long distance dating. And during that time I had been looking into graduate programs and I just had this passion to pursue art history. I was always dreaming about a degree in art history. So I was fortunate to get into the the top school I really wanted, which was here in DC, yeah. which also gave us a chance <laughs> to be in the same place and date in the same city and, um, discern marriage more seriously. Yeah. Was he, um, by that point, once you moved here, was he done with his degree or was he still in school as well? He had finished. So he was working full time, um, blogging. So he had a lot going on. Um, but it was nice to just have one of us in graduate school. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So how long did you all date, like, you know, in the same city before, before getting engaged? Um, about two years. So yep. About two years. 
um, which was wonderful. I just knew from my discernment and from my heart that I really wanted to experience a lot of the average part of life versus when you're long distance, it's very ideal. It's like idyllic, right? It's kind of perfect and you clear your schedule and you have these lovely weekends and it's, um, it's, it's great, but it's not very real. And so finally being in the same place, I just felt like gave us so much more of discerning through all of those everyday experiences and sharing like the very mundane, the very basic, Mm -hmm. um, and those were more the most exciting kind of times for me actually in our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to appreciate his, um, I don't know, kind of like his, his, his confidence and self-assuredness that, you know, even though you'd said at first, like, I'm not looking for a relationship right now and like, let's just be friends. And then, you know, even moving to the, to the same city, he wasn't like, okay, TikTok, like, you know, that he was able to be really patient and, um, just allow your love to unfold in like a very natural way. Yeah, it was, it was a very beautiful gift for me at the time. I just knew, I knew I wasn't ready really to be in relation with anyone, but I respected that he was just so honest and also just was there in friendship. He was just, you know, not pushing, not getting impatient. Um, and that was just really beautiful. It was a beautiful way to kind of begin our journey together. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have to kind of like explicitly like sort of drop the hanky once you were like, oh, wait, I actually do like this guy (laughs) or or, or just like keep coming, you know, asking you out every couple of months. (laughs) He definitely, he definitely asked me out more than once. He definitely brought it up more than once, Um, which was a beautiful way to continue to grow in communication and in kind of um, sharing how we both felt. So but yeah, there definitely just came a point where it was like, we really both knew that we weren't just friends anymore. And so um could have that conversation about like the next, taking the next step, which just made me laugh. Cause I was like, and now we're long distance, which is yeah. <laughs> no fun. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, how often were you able to like see each other then? In one long distance. Yeah, it was typically every six weeks or so, like six okay. to eight weeks. Okay. So um definitely scraping pennies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. then you could really like store up your miles, right? And so we did a lot of that where you're like cashing in miles and stuff. He traveled a lot for work as well. So we would kind of count on those miles to be able to get some of those tickets back and right. forth. Right. And oh, that's really cool. So was there like a definitive moment where you were like, I want to marry this guy or did it just unfold, you know, very slowly? A little of both. There definitely was one particular visit where I came out to visit him in the spring, early spring in DC. So we have, of course, the cherry blossoms, which were so new to me. I'd never experienced that. And we were out for the day doing the National Gallery of Art cherry blossoms it was just it was a really lovely day and a lot of talking and walking and talking and just felt like everything had shifted and changed um just the way that I looked at him and thought about him the way we were together um the way that he was we were just just felt like everything was so easy it was so easy to be with him it was so easy to share with him and to be open to trust him. So 
um, that for me was something that I hadn't really ever experienced before. Um, yeah. and I knew that that was really unique and really, really special. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, is there a special like proposal story, um, that you guys have? <laughs> so, <laughs> proposal. So my, we had a family wedding in Milwaukee. And so I invited him to come as my date to my cousin's wedding, um, meet some of my more extended family that live in Wisconsin. And we were just going to kind of make a longer stay of it, catch up with my parents and my sister. And, um, so we're at the airport waiting for our flight and he is just so agitated and like stressed. And I'm like, oh gosh, he doesn't want to go on this trip. He doesn't <laughs> want to like go hang out with my family. Um, little did I know he had the ring with him and had planned to carry his bag on the plane. And instead everyone was required to check their bags. Oh my gosh. So he had to, you know, let it out of his sight. It's not insured yet. He had just right. gotten it in time for this trip. So they take his bag. He's so agitated, like the whole flight. He's just not himself. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You need more vacation. You are way too stressed out. <laughs> um, there were delays with the bag at the baggage claim, like his oh bag was coming. So it just kept going. And then we go into this family trip. It's multiple days. We're going through all these family activities, the wedding, all of it. Um, and he's just a little bit more like tense. <laughs> than usual right he's just never like that like what is your problem so one of the last days of the trip we went to the art museum in Milwaukee which is one of my favorite places it's on the water it's just beautiful and went to an art exhibit there and then we came out of the museum and we're just walking around in the grounds and again he's just seeming like not himself at all it is 103 <laughs> degrees oh gosh it is horribly hot out we are sweating it is just horribly horribly miserable and we're like looking for a place to basically like sit and hang out and i'm like it's uh -huh. really hot um and then he proposes there and it was beautiful oh. definitely surprised um but i'll never forget just like it all made sense like yeah why? yeah yeah, yeah. Was just so <laughs> off the whole week and like distracted and all of that but it was beautiful my family was still in town so we were oh. able to kind of celebrate we went back and shared the news and we celebrated mm -hmm. the evening and um milwaukee does their fireworks the night before the fourth of july so that was the day we actually got engaged so oh. we <laughs> fireworks so it was just it was really beautiful it was ended up being really perfect but um it's still a great story to tell a little yeah. bit of suffering <laughs> along the way right I know there, I, there's it's sort of funny like I don't know if this is more of an American thing but like there seems to be this idea that like a proposal should be a surprise you know not too much of a surprise like you right. know but like you should have talked about it but like you know, just the idea that he doesn't want to be like, hey, I've got the ring. I'm going to propose in a couple of days. Like, you're like, oh, why'd you tell me? You know, I know you want that sort of in between. We definitely, I definitely knew it was coming at some point, but, um, right. you know, it's like just enough of a surprise that the guy does sweat quite a bit. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's perfect because, you know, he has to start out with a little anxiety, like to ask her on a date and then he has to end with a little bit of anxiety. Yes, yes, exactly. It's very purifying, right? It's the purity <laughs> I agree. Oh, that's sweet. D did your family know that he was proposing that weekend? They did not know. So oh, wow. he, okay. had, he had asked my father um, okay. for a blessing for permission, which was very, very sweet. Um, 
but that had happened, I would say like a few months before. So, um, I knew that that had happened cause we had okay. talked about it. Um, yeah. but yeah, my family did not know they were very surprised and, um, it was, it was <laughs> a great time. Oh, is he also from the Midwest? He grew up, his family moved around a lot. Um, he spent most of his childhood in San Diego, California. Oh, wow. So I would say he considers himself from there. Okay. And when he was 15, they relocated to Michigan. So kind of half and half. Okay. Okay. Where was the wedding? We had the wedding here actually in DC. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. We, um, it was really hard to decide, you know, when you, yeah. when your family is somewhere else and you're the only ones here, but most of our dating relationship, our engagement, um, was here and our church was here that we've always gone to. We just really felt called to have our wedding in the place that mm. I don't know, was so formative really for us, uh, yeah, yeah. um, both spiritually and just through our relationship. So, um, it was it felt like the right, the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask what church it was at? Absolutely. So we got married at St. Stephen Martyr in Foggy Bottom. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And we had been going there primarily through, well, he'd been going there, I think for several years. Mm -hmm. Um, when I moved to DC, we started going there together. So it really was where we spent, you know, Sundays, feast days. Um, Mm -hmm. it was a really special place for us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. DC. I mean, it's definitely, it's a beautiful place, uh, for a wedding. I could imagine it can be a little bit of like a tight squeeze in terms of like venues are probably kind of pricey and then people have to stay in hotels and, you know, parking is not easy. So I can see there's probably some logistical challenges, but like, oh my gosh, just the scenery I'm sure was, was stunning. It was beautiful and, you know, and just kind of very meaningful. So, you know, we very much were, our priority was hospitality and taking care of our guests. So we planned all of the festivities were basically within walking distance of St. Stephen's, just bearing in mind that, you know, driving in the city or cabbing or whatever is, it could be a little overwhelming for out-of-towners. So um, once they got there, they could just walk (laughs) to everything, which was really nice. Yeah. You don't want to be like on the Metro in like a suit or a tuxedo. Getting lost, you know, like stressing out. So none of that. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, You know, some people talk about their wedding day. It's like just a blur. Um, Did you feel like that was the case for you? Did you feel like you were able to really be present to all that was happening? It was definitely a mix of both. Um, I remember we built in a few you know, you have to have like this timeline of everything, right? Like when right. is everything happening? So we, we built in a few blocks where we knew, you know, if we just take, we want to make sure we can take some time to slow down and kind of not just be moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. So that was very helpful to try to stay more present. But I do remember the first time we rewatched um, footage from our wedding that I really realized like definitely through the mass there was so much that just was too much to take in. It was just wow. it was really, really beautiful. And that part was still so much a blur and just like, huh. you know, you think you're taking in the music and the readings and all of it. And just for me, it was like kind of this other world experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so it was beautiful to go back and like, you know, hear the homily again and hear the music again. Like, wow, that was really beautiful. Yeah. Um, Cause it does just, it's just a lot to absorb, you know, all of it in the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. That's great that you have an actual video of the whole mass and ceremony. Yeah. We're very fortunate. My uncle used, you know, the old school, like recorder. Recorder, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did not have budget for a know, professional videographer. Beautiful, yeah, I would have loved that, but like we just didn't. Oh could not have. But my uncle showed up, so he's you know tracking everybody down with the camera and being like, "So <laughs> it's the day, you know? How you feeling?" <laughs> oh my gosh, he's like interviewing people. Oh gosh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so at the time, I remember just being like, "Please go away <laughs> with this thing," but I'm very grateful we have that now. You know that we can oh, kind of sure. just. Um, yeah, take that all in again. But yeah, I remember being at the back of the church with my dad and my uncle coming around the front <laughs> of the church and being like, so it's the day, you know, how you doing? And I'm like, this is my moment with my dad, you know, like, I just want to be alone. <laughs> oh, I God. Love that. Yeah, no, I can totally see like the irritation. But yeah, in retrospect, you're like, that's just too funny. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm really glad we have that. I'm glad he was right. there. Right. <laughs> It's, it, I mean, I, I, I think like, I don't know, maybe it's because we, we grew up in a world where, you know, we had TV and movies and so much media around us that we can like romanticize these moments. And so I love when like the real life just sort of juts in there, which is like, Hey, wait a second. This is not all scripted. Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it is very real world. There are always are things, right. Things are going to go wrong. You know, like they're going to be like minor catastrophes. So um, yeah, it's always the real world, uh, experience along with, you know, all of the beauty, of course. Yeah. So, so talk about, uh, a little bit about your, your transition in, into married life. And then I know that very quickly things changed pretty dramatically. So can you kind of walk us through, you know, those first few weeks? Sure. So we, we were able to take our honeymoon right after our wedding, which was wonderful. Um, it was a trip that my husband planned actually as a surprise. So I found <laughs> out <laughs> it was an awesome surprise. Um, I found out the evening of our wedding where we were going. So he had told me, okay, pack these types of items. This is what the weather will be like. So of course I could prepare, but that evening I found out like, oh my gosh, we're going to Southern France. <gasps> oh. 10 days. So we went to Nice gosh. and <laughs> As, and so he had planned everything. It was just the most beautiful gift. And that might not be ever, for everybody, like a surprise <laughs> moon, but right, right. we had traveled a lot through our relationship and I, we just, we travel very well. We enjoy the same kind of experiences. Like I just had absolute trust that whatever he put together would be perfect yeah. and wonderful. So we were able to do that, which was, um, I'm mentioning it now just because in hindsight, I'm still just so grateful that we actually had that time that we didn't postpone the honeymoon. We would not have fit one in. (laughs) So, (laughs) right. So we had that. It was absolutely beautiful. It was really a gift. Um, Able to start our marriage off with that experience. And when we got back, we got into all the practical. I hadn't uh, moved out of my apartment yet. So oh, gosh. <laughs> all my stuff, you know, and we moved into his apartment. Um, so we did all of, all of that, just the practical merging, you know, we don't 
we don't mm-hmm. own any furniture. We like have nothing. So <laughs> kind of try, trying to start setting up some semblance of a home together, which was super fun. Um, yeah. Hands on, you know, found out he's very accommodating when it comes to my DIY dreams and ambitions of making things from scratch. So we were able to do some of that, which was beautiful and, and really fun. And then just settling into normal things like our jobs and back to career and juggling all of that, you know, how do you meal plan, all those practical things, which were really fun. And we had about 11 weeks of all of that good stuff um, when his accident happened. Okay. Um, Just to back up a little bit, were you both living alone before you moved in together or did you have like roommates and stuff? We both had roommates. So I had one roommate. I was living in Arlington at the time in an apartment. And then he had, he was in Georgetown and they had like the upper level of a row house. So he had two roommates and, um, because it was a two bedroom and his rent had been like, his rent was amazing. It was like fixed, like a fixed rent. (laughs) So we just knew like that was probably going to be more of the, the better fit for us and our budget. So he had to, uh, kind of get his roommates to leave. So that was like a bit of, a bit of an ordeal. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, get them to leave and then kind of spruce up the apartment because it really had been just inhabited by single men for years. So yep. Yep. that needed a little TLC, um, but it was a really cool old, you know, building. I I loved it. It was quirky and had no AC and no closets. Oh my gosh. Oh, really? Yeah. I learned this is crazy. I, so I actually, I just visited um, the shrine of Elizabeth Ann Seton and we, we toured the house that um, she had like her schoolhouse in and like where they lived. And there was this like very thin like wardrobe. I'd never seen one so thin before. And we, someone was asking about it. And the tour guide told us that apparently you used to have to pay extra taxes on closets. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. But if it was like freestanding, you were good. So I don't, I mean, I don't know if that was the case in DC as well, but like maybe that's why there's no closets. Could be that. Yeah. There was like no, there was no storage. It was such a fun, you know, when you think about like early days of marriage, everything is so new anyway. Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah. this place was such a riot, but I loved it. I just <laughs> loved how old it was and quirky and you know, we just had a lot of dreams of staying there for a very long time, you know, making it work. Like we can make this work. We don't need closets. Like, right. Right. <laughs> right. And and what were you doing for work at the time? So I had finished my graduate coursework and I was starting on my master's thesis and I was working uh, part-time actually at the Folger Shakespeare library. If you're familiar oh, with wow. that. Yeah. 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 I was an exhibitions assistant there. So helping them with their exhibition development and installation, which was so cool. It it was a job that I've kind of always had wanted was Mm -hmm. to get involved with art exhibitions. So it was really neat to be learning some of that hands-on experience and getting to put them together and take them down. And um, so that was really fun. I was kind of doing both of that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about um, the accident and what happened and and kind of what's going through your mind as this is all unfolding? Sure. So my husband had a work retreat um, out in Maryland on the Chesapeake. So he was with colleagues, uh, planning session, strategy. Um, it was an overnight 
uh, event. So I was just at home back in Georgetown while he was at that and definitely remember vividly still like putting on his tie in the morning, you know, getting ready at normal morning, you know, kissing goodbye, runs out the door, um, heads to that later that day. And late that night, I got a phone call from his boss who said, you know, there's been a terrible accident. You know, Tom is at shock trauma in Baltimore. You know, he was medevaced there. We don't know what's going on. We don't really know, but it's, you need to get here like as soon as you can. So we didn't own a car. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was calling multiple people trying to find just someone that could drive me um, to see him. So what had happened was, um, well, craziest part of the story is there's no memory actually of anything that happened. Hmm. So we still really don't know. There's a lot of mystery around the event itself. Um, what we do know is that a coworker found him floating face down in the water. So um, we have no, no idea really like what happened to him, how long he had been floating face down in the water. So we found out after the fact that he had a spinal cord injury, he had broken his neck. He also had drowned. And so he was completely Gosh. unconscious, totally unconscious. And we don't know for how long. So the Lord is always in the details of these stories, right? The the miracles begin very early in this whole story because this home, this property they were at is really in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around. And once a year, the medevac team does a training a helicopter training and the field next to this house is where they always land during their training. And that was the day that they were doing their training. And that who that is who came and got my husband. So oh. it's just unbelievable because the amount, how they, long they would have had to wait for someone to get to them. Um, you know, we already don't know how many minutes he was not conscious and they always say you only have seven minutes of oxygen in your brain. So that's how long you technically can go without air. We have no idea how long it was for Tom. It was a very long time. Uh-huh. So they took him to shock trauma. And then I got the phone call that he was there. So when I got there, um, they told me that he had zero chance of survival So it wasn't a worst case scenario. It was, you need to prepare to say goodbye. Do you have, you know, end of life? Do you have power of attorney? Like, what do you have? Like, do you have your documents? Do you have whatever? We have nothing. (laughs) Like, we didn't get to this. Um, (laughs) We don't have that. So anyway, I know my husband. I know his wishes. But it was, it was just utterly, utterly devastating. The most surreal experience ever. It's still so surreal to think about, like, that night. So, um, yeah, so they said he, you know, would not recover. He was unconscious. He was on a ventilator. They said if he ever did wake up, he would have severe brain damage and he would be like non-communicative. So we had some of his coworkers, um, stayed that night at the hospital. Some of my, some of our closest friends came and we all, really had a vigil through the night. Um, as soon as the sun was coming up the next morning, a nurse came to get me and she said that he was waking up 
And when I came into the room, the doctor that had been working on him all night said, you know, this is not possible. I've been with your husband all night and this just isn't possible. And not only was he waking up, but there was no brain damage. He was alert. He like was responsive. So it's just an unbelievable miracle that we were handed. And even his doctor was like, I can't explain any of this to you. And he was a Christian and really right. beautifully like took me aside and was like, really not supposed to say this, but, <laughs> um, but the Lord saved your husband's life. Like this is a really beautiful miracle. And I don't know. I was just so grateful that he ended up in, you know, one of the best hospitals in the whole country for a spinal cord injury. And um, yeah, we were just given a really incredible miracle that day. Oh my gosh. I have chills. Wow. That's incredible. Do you, um, you know, of course we, we attribute it to the, to the power of God, but like, do you attribute it to any particular prayer or saint or, or devotion, or do you just see it as just, you know, an outpouring of, of grace? I see it as an outpouring of grace. I, I'm sure everyone that night was calling on their favorite, yeah. Inter- yeah. <laughs> their favorite patron. Yeah. Um, I'm of course like pleading with our lady. Like we just, this is just like, this is just too soon. I just, we're just not like, I would just, I need a little more time with, with this man, Like it's just not time. Um, But I think, you know, I think when we were, when we were engaged, we felt very called to a devotion to Louie and Zelly Martin, who at the time were, um, no one really knew about them. You know, now they're like really popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at the time they were blessed and we um, we really took them as our patrons during our engagement. So um, I still feel very close to them. St. Jude's always been my favorite. So definitely a lot of mm-hmm. prayers to him that night. So I think it was, I don't know. I feel like we had the intercession of of many. Whole cloud of witnesses. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Wow. Did, was he able, I mean, you know, you were told he was, he was not going to make it. Did, did you have a priest come to anoint him or was that not even possible? We did have a priest friend come. Um, and then from there on out, it was kind of a revolving door of yeah. lots of, we had a lot of religious visit us. We had a lot of friends come. We had various masses in his room, which was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did wake up that morning, but he was in very, very, very serious critical condition. So he was on a ventilator. He could not talk. He could not move. He could only shrug his shoulders. Wow. So when all of this is, you're kind of processing like the shock the diagnosis, the diagnosis is unclear. The diagnosis is terrible. I mean, he is a, he is alive, but he is, he is hanging in there, um, barely hanging in there. So we had a lot to kind of face. It was, it was a very much sort of moment by moment experience of what was happening and what all of these things meant and potential outcomes. And um, it was very, very, very bleak for a long time. So that, that was kind of the you know, as the, as the story continues, um, there were many, we needed many miracles along the way, um, to get him to where he eventually, eventually was. Yeah. 
So how long did he have to stay in that particular hospital, you know, on a ventilator? We were there for 56 days. Oh my God. So I left in the middle of the night, uh, that first night. And I stayed in that room with him for all of those days. Um, Baltimore is like a little over two hours from our house. So I just, that was just too far to leave him to go. So, um, yeah, stayed in his room. They had a armchair in the room, um, amidst like all the machines and the beeping. (laughs) Um, and so that was my little, my little spot. And so this all happened we were married in April, this all happened like mid July. So we really spent the summer there. I remember like recording, my husband loves weather and loves like storms and all of that. So I remember like recording some of the summer storms on my phone and like having him be able to like watch them and just (laughs) some experience of like the world out there. You know, we were, that little room was our entire world for all all those weeks. And so during that time, was he pretty much conscious, but just not mobile? He was um, definitely in the first several weeks, he was in and out of consciousness. Part of it was because he was in such critical condition. There was a lot of sedation. Oh, right. So there was a bit of that, um, a lot of that, actually. The medication was very heavy, the sedation, they needed that um, frequently. So he was kind of in and out of it especially due to that. Um, and then eventually that kind of weaned down more, but he was on the ventilator for a long time and trying to get him off of that was a really, really challenging, um, experience. And so, um, something that we did to be able to communicate because we can't talk, mm-hmm. we're trying to make major life decisions about <laughs> his health and his life, and he can't talk. And a lot of people listening to this probably don't even know who my husband is, but prior to his injury, his job and his life was communications and speaking and writing and speaking engagements and going on media and being on TV. Oh yeah. This particular cross for him, I think had to have been just unbelievable, like to not be able to communicate and speak for himself um, was really hard. And as a new couple, we're trying to navigate this without being able to talk. So um, I wrote the alphabet down on a piece of paper in different columns that were numbered like a grid and some punch words on the bottom, like nurse, pain, sleep, light, all of that. But basically anytime he had something to say, or we needed to talk about something, he would spell everything that he had to say. So he would guide me, I would point to the letter and he would nod when I got to the letter because he still couldn't use his arms or his hands at the time. So he'd nod when I get to the letter, I would write down the letter. We got into the next letter, write down that letter. And then finally, when all the letters were in a row, I would figure out what these words were. And we did this for a long time. And this was the, the method of, you know, communicating, sharing, asking questions, expressing frustration, saying, I'm in pain. I need help. I need a nurse. What's going on? Um, so that was incredible. Uh, very challenging. We had a lot of nurses and doctors say though, that, you know, in this situation, a lot of 
a lot of people just basically don't get an opportunity to communicate. Mm-hmm. They really just, no one really comes up with that, a solution for them. Um, which is really like, in my view, like that's unacceptable, <laughs> like we're, that's impossible. So, um, that was our little way that we were able to, uh, get through that and communicate. Yeah. So after those 56 days, what was the next step? Yeah. So he was discharged to a rehabilitation hospital here in DC, um, he lived there. He was an inpatient rehab, right? So he had, he stayed there as a patient for six weeks and that started the whole next round of like, how, you know, all of the therapy, the physical therapy, the occupational therapy meeting with, you know, you're, they require you to meet with a social worker to start talking about like, how are you going to transition to a home life? And what does that look like? And how we had to learn, you know, how to care for him. So I was really involved in his therapy, either to be encouraging and to be there as he was in physical rehab or some of the sessions you have to go to, to learn, you know, how to start doing all the physical care that is required for someone who's a quadriplegic. So, um, what's interesting is insurance largely dictates what that stay looks like. Wow. (laughs) Rather than it being sort of based on your recovery journey and kind of where you're at in your rehab and how you're doing, it really is just a, you have six weeks from insurance and that's what you have. So uh, that was kind of insane. Just that how much we had to tackle in in a very short time and then ready or not, like they discharged him six weeks to the day. And, um, we were not ready. <laughs> we were not prepared. What was so I guess, I mean, cause you were working just part-time, right? And so was he, did he just go on like long-term disability or like he, he went ahead? Yeah, he absolutely had to. There was definitely no no way. There was no no way to be juggling um a job. So he went on disability and I actually when I was living at the hospital in Baltimore with him. Um, I wrote to my boss and I told her that I needed to step away from my job because I was like, this is a 24 seven situation, right? Like I, I can't, I can't do my, my job and all of this. And she was just the most amazing. She said like, why don't you write me, you know, in three months and tell me how it's going. And so I did. And I said, we're still doing all of this. And I really think I need to resign. And she said, why don't you write me in three months and tell me how you're doing? And we did that for several months. Um, Um, And then very, very slowly, I was able to ease back into my, my part-time job. So um, that was just such a generous um, thing for us at the time. So um, yeah. So, so yeah, the rehab phase was about, about six weeks. And I remember uh, that was an interesting challenge actually for us because I was not allowed to stay with him. Oh, okay. So I would have to leave oh. in the evening <laughs> at like nine o'clock. Oh. <laughs> we had a roommate in this rehab hospital. So we had to like share our nights with his roommate and <laughs> the nursing staff and you know have to leave by nine. And I was just it was a very frustrating experience of you know, 
we're trying to do our best, of course, to like navigate all of these new physical challenges, but also just really had not a lot of time to even like spend together. Yeah. Um, to, to just doing so, rehab exercises basically all day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now at this point, is he able to fully speak? Um, he was able to speak. He um, had a lot of kind of voice damage and lung damage. Yeah. So it took, it took a while to kind of get like the strength back, but we definitely, we were well past our spelling and we were (laughs) back to talking, which was so awesome. So yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Now, did you, didn't you say that your apartment was on like a second, second story? Yes. Our, our <laughs> house, our um, second story on top of a hill. So we were on top of, oh gosh. <laughs> top of the row house. Um, I know. And you know, Tom is so funny. So I remember there, we were in a meeting at that with the hospital, the rehab hospital, and you know, they want to get, try to help you figure out like getting into your home space, right. What's that going to look like? And, <laughs> and I just remember him explaining to them like, Oh, we like love our little apartment. And, um, we're going to just hire some people who will carry me <laughs> to like, we're not leaving. We're not leaving Georgetown. We're not leaving this apartment. We love our home. And everyone's just staring at him. Like you have not had the reality. You're like, we are not uh, that reality yeah. yet, right? We are still in this very surreal, um, experience of like this whole injury. So we would look at new apartments online in the evenings, trying to find something that was accessible. And at the time he was in a very large power motorized wheelchair and um, trying to find an apartment in the city that is accessible was really challenging. So we looked at over 800 listings online. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Crazy. So this is what we're doing in our, at our, you know, our nights together in rehab. Right. Looking at all these apartments, we don't know anything about accessible living. Like we've right, done right. this before. And we finally found one listing. So I went to view that, had my tape measure, was like, okay, he can fit through the doorways. He can fit through the hallway. He can fit in the bathroom. Um, So I grabbed that apartment. And then right before he was being discharged was our move-in day. So it was like two days before I'm moving us from our old place. Thank God our friends, so generous in showing up and helping us do all of that. It was, it was a lot at the time, um, got us into the new apartment and then he came home, I think it was like two days later. So it was, it was kind of a whirlwind. We were, we were both just, it was kind of, we were kind of stunned. I just remember when he came home, I mean, he hadn't been out in the world in months, right. Just like been in a hospital or rehab facility for months And so it was just a very jarring transition to kind of be back in the world. He never saw his apartment again, like Uh, in this new new home, you know, it wasn't even very homey. It was just like medical supplies everywhere, you know, just hard. So, um, that was a, that was a hard transition for us. Just kind of the very, the uh, very beginning of like starting this new life and what does it look like? And how do we do it? What do we do? Yeah. Cause and you said he, he wasn't, he didn't think physically he was, he was ready. Like he could have used more time in the rehab facility. Absolutely. He was not what I would call medically stable. So there were still a lot of emergencies and unexpected 
ups and downs and there is just nothing that the facility can do, right? It's it's really dictated by your insurance and the coverage. So um it was that was it was kind of scary. There were a lot of there were continued to be a lot of, you know, over the following few years, like hospitalizations, wow. emergencies, um, surgeries. So it, it was it was definitely um the journey kind of continued, but he kept up with his rehab. We did full-time outpatient rehab for a long time. We became like the running joke of the facility that we were still there, but it's <laughs> very determined to get as much possible rehabilitation as possible. Right. So we just kept going. We did that for a long time and um, also eventually did a program up at Baltimore. So for a period of time, we were also driving back and forth to a rehab facility in Baltimore um, about three days a week and back. So wow. just trying to give him every, you know, every shot to get, get stronger, to get, to regain whatever, you know, he could, whatever was possible. Mm-hmm. And I guess at that point you had to invest in like a handicap accessible vehicle. By that point we did, we had a little golf station wagon that, <laughs> um, only I could drive at the time. So I would, you know, take his wheelchair apart, put it in the hatchback. Um, we would go together. Um, eventually we got the car modified so that he could drive it, which was amazing. Oh, wow. Um, and even sort of after that, since then he actually got his, got his own vehicle that he was able to fully modify. So, um, I think it was two years ago, he became fully independent in driving, which is so cool. Um, He, uh, it was definitely a game changer to regain that, that much independence back. Right. Took a long time, but we got there. We did it. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much going on just, just physically um, with him and then you kind of being this caregiver and, and, you know, taking him to all of his appointments and staying there with him, like, did you feel like you even had time to process things like kind of psychologically or even spiritually, or was it just, you know, survivor mode? It was definitely survivor mode for quite a long time. Um, and I think because it was such a traumatic and surreal experience, like you're living it, but it also took a long time to kind of process that this really had happened. And that this was sort of a permanent thing. Um, So a lot of that came kind of came later and with more, a little bit more medical stability as the months and months went on, I think we could start focusing more on some of the actual healing, which of course is going to be physical, but it's going to be emotional and spiritual and, um, So yeah, that, that came later trying to start like unpacking all of that and doing that work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, do you think that you were both very conscious and like kind of mourning what you thought your life was going to be like, or, you know, was it, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I can, I can just imagine kind of the grief surrounding that, but I can also see how like sometimes you can just get very focused on like, no, this, it's going to get better. Everything's going to be back to where it was before, you know, did you feel like you really were mourning or was it more just like, you know, 
I don't, I don't want to say denial, you know, it's sort of like, there's a hope, you know, I don't know if that makes sense as a question. It does. It's, it's, um, it's hard to articulate because I, I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's kind of both, which is, yeah. which is really hard. So there, there is, and was a lot of grieving that needed to happen yeah. of what was lost, that this was like also there, that this was a loss. And I remember the very first priest, a very close friend of ours came to visit Tom at the rehab hospital. And I was always just like, here's the latest, like, here's what we're doing. And like, here's been the progress and like, you know, go, right. go, go, like cheering him on and all of this. And, and he just kind of like stopped me in the middle of my, like, you know, encouraging like moment and was like, you know, it's really okay to start grieving what has happened. Mm. And I needed to hear that because I didn't realize that that was a thing that that Mm. was, that was going to be part of this and that that was appropriate. Mm. Uh, But it just really, really shook my heart when he said that. And I was like, it was like, I was, it's like someone gave me the permission to do that to start Mm. doing that, which was amazing. So there was a lot of need for that to kind of start trying to reconcile what had been lost with what happened, like what was not going to be possible while also being really clear on the hope we still had for what we wanted for our life. And you know, if you, if you lose that and you let go of that, it does become very hard to keep going. Right. And to not lose sight of your dreams, your goals, and honestly what the Lord wants for you, because he doesn't want you to just like curl up in a corner and like, stop trying, you know, right. right. And quit. Like he still has really big plans. Like we, I was like, I, I think we, he still has big plans for us but it's just going to look, it is going to look different. And so kind of trying to navigate that intersection of, of grief and hope was definitely a kind of still is honestly an ongoing um, part of the journey. Right. No, I know because it's like, you don't want to feel like you're giving up, you know, and especially like giving up on what God can do. God can do the miraculous. And yet at the same time, it's like, well, what is the reality that God is like willing me to be in at this moment um, and, you know, kind of like trying to keep that mentality of hope, even though the hope is not necessarily as, as concrete as like, oh, well, he's just going to fully recover. And then our life's just going to be, you know, exactly. their married couple, you know? Exactly. And I, I remember my husband at one point saying, you know, I, if, you know, I want to have the life where, you know, if I, I don't want to say, oh, if I would have recovered, you know, everything would have been so much better. Like, Mm. even if I was like miraculously healed, I don't want that to feel like, oh, thank goodness, because we just, we just couldn't have done this. Like we couldn't have made it otherwise. Mm. You know, we need to build a life where like, we are, we are joyful and happy with where we are. Not like we are waiting for this miracle to save us from our life. Um, but to continue to pray for that. Right. Cause the Lord is also like, I feel like ever since then the miracles have continued. Um, and 
that's easy to lose sight of when you get really caught up in the practical of all of this, you know, and it's been several years and you're like, okay, like we kind of have this, like we kind of, we're kind of doing it. Like we know what we're doing. Um, but just realizing, you know, one of the early things I was told was the percentage of couples that do not stay together after a situation like this. Yeah. It's like 10% make it. And it was a really shocking thing to hear. I think someone told me that in the hospital in Baltimore. So I think they thought oh, they were being very helpful. Like, I don't like, know if they just like, leave them. Oh, like, I don't think I need to hear this right now. You know, wow. like we just got married. You know, this is like not an encouraging right. thing to say to somebody who's going through this, but it made me feel like, you know, you don't know us, you don't know my husband, and you don't know what the Lord is capable of. Mm. Like, I just don't accept that. I don't accept that, it, you know, we are going to, we have to make that. We have to make it. The Lord's going to help us make it, you know? Right. Well, I, yeah, I think like what's sort of tragic is that I can imagine there's some couples and it's probably one person, you know, the, the, not, the uninjured person maybe who, who just doesn't want to make it. They're like, eh, well, let me, I, I have this picture of what my life should look like. So I'll find that with somebody else. And like, you know, there's something so devastating about that. Absolutely. I mean, Part of the part of the thing that we're the most one of the things we're the most grateful for in our story is the preparation for marriage that we had, um, the foundation that we had going into marriage, right? Which is that love is a gift of yourself, right? Like you really are called to give yourself and your life to this person. And that is very countercultural and very opposite to what a lot of the view is out there, right? Where I'm supposed to feel like I crave my autonomy, that my husband's needs are a burden, that I should be really putting myself first, you know, that that is more important. Um, And you, you just can't, I, I don't, I would, I can't imagine that you could make it if that is your view of, right? Like what marriage is. So I am just so grateful that when we got married, we were already so on the same page about our faith and about what commitment looks like and what living out, you know, our marriage looks like. And that's something to come back to, right? When things are very challenging, Um, And it does look different than you think. And a lot of the things that you hoped for or even had Mm -hmm. no longer there. Mm -hmm. Um, You can still, you need to come back to that. And that is a saving grace. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, And, but I think, I think even for probably a lot of Catholic and, and other Christian couples, like it's easy to have those things in the abstract where you're like, love, it's, Willing to yes. go it's self-sacrifice. And then you're like, you get to the reality when you're like, oh, I don't like this very much. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, this is hard and it hurts. And it's not always fun. And it's not always romantic to be living those things out in that way. Um, but when you do, a lot of beauty and a lot of peace comes. So Right. We have this incredible experience as human beings where you can have joy and suffering together, mm-hmm. where we can have suffering that is sanctifying and it is redemptive. So it's not something that is lost, even when it is 
very, very painful. So that, you know, the Lord is going to bless the faithfulness and he has blessed the faithfulness. Um, we pray that he continues to do so. Uh, but I agree with you. It's different to say the thing than it is hmm. to do the thing. <laughs> and who knows that, you know, every marriage is going to, it, that's going to happen at some point where you're, you are going to go through some of those experiences. Sometimes it's later, right? Ours was very, very soon. And right in a fairly dramatic way, but it will happen, right? It it is going to be part of, um, you know, putting your love on the cross with Christ. You, you are going to suffer in that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, of course it's easy to look at your marriage and see all the things that you do for Tom as his caregiver and you, you know, are his rock, you know, physically, spiritually, but like, you know, I'm sure there's a reciprocity there. So like, even though he, you know, is maybe not able to, um, I don't know, care for you in all the ways physically that he might want to, like, what are some of the ways that you feel like his love for you has really not only grown, but really been able to be expressed? That's a beautiful question. And I'm, I'm so glad that you asked it because that has been really a kind of unfair perspective. Like, I feel like we kind of get that a lot maybe even unintentionally, like people don't necessarily mean that, but we get that a lot where I think it it does come across as like a very one-sided thing, um, which is really unfair and it's really untrue. So my husband, I love these, like I'm the rock. It's so funny because he (laughs) really is the one, like I can be a little all over the place. He's an incredibly strong person, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So having that stability and having someone who is on the same page with me in those areas has been incredible. Um, He also, you know, we have had to talk very openly about, right, like we are faced with this very strange imbalance of like the physical toil, especially in the home with all the practical things. Right. It's really painful for the person who can't serve in those ways. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. That's miss- is, yeah. And someone who is naturally self-giving like. Yes. You know? Yeah. That that's really painful. So um, we've, I think found this really nice balance where, you know, Tom will often check in with me and just offer to, you know, he'll ask like, what can I do for you? What can I do? What can I take off of your plate? What can I handle? What can I cover? Such a beautiful way to continue to love and to serve, but also to keep me from just being the person that's like, I'm just going to do all of the things. I'm just going to go for everything. Um, So he, he runs a lot of our, the, intellectual part of our life. So okay. <laughs> he does a lot of the practical things that I really am not good at and don't want to do that <laughs> someone needs to do in, in your marriage. So right. he is great with our finances. He is great with, you know, managing the healthcare, signing us up for that, taking care of all the bills, doing anything that he can kind of do off my plate. Um, he also runs his own business as well. And he started that up when he was only six months out from. Oh my gosh. Wow. Which was nuts. So that was happening kind of in the mix. 
Um, and he built a really successful software company that we've been super blessed by. So um, he has been an incredibly driven and successful CEO and provider for our family. I get to be a caregiver because my husband works so hard taking care of wow. us and providing for us. Um, that looks really different for a lot of other couples. So we are really, we don't take that for granted that like I've been able to work part-time or have my own thing going on um, because he has had this incredibly successful career in the midst of all of this that's gone on. Um, It'll be 10 years next year for him that this business has been going. So, um, so there's some practical ways, you know, I think just making sure that we also have a relationship, right? So prioritizing, taking me out on a date, checking in on checking in on me, right? Yeah. If I'm working too hard, have I had a break? Do I need to go see a friend? Should I go like get out of the house and go do something I enjoy? Like just those encouraging things to make sure that I'm not getting too caught up in the, in the work of everything is, is really beautiful. It's really helpful. So very grateful. Yeah. Grateful. Yeah. It sounds like he's, he's just a really attentive person. Like he can really perceive like your needs and, 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 you know, if he can't perceive your needs, he's actually good about asking what they are, which is. Yes. It's very know. helpful. Sometimes yeah. you don't even know for yourself what you right. need. It's, it's a beautiful thing in a, in a spouse to have somebody that is watching out for you in that way and checking in on you. I've been, I'm very grateful yeah. for that. I'm a, I'm like a very driven person. So I will naturally like overdo it a lot. Right. <laughs> Just, you know, you don't realize you you need to be reminded to like slow down and um you know, take a break, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I mean, it sounds like he's a really driven person too, so it's great that he's able to like you know, help you to like take it down a notch like when you need yes. to recuperate. Yeah. Or- I think we have to give that to each other because yeah. <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, I don't know, you can you can easily become a little, a little bit of workaholic is, is a tendency for both of us. So we have to be careful. (laughs) Well, to kind of wrap up here, I know there's been some exciting changes in the last couple months for you guys. So can you share a little bit about what your life is looking like right now and kind of what some of your hopes and and plans are for, you know, the, the coming years? Sure. So yeah, it's been a full year for us. So this summer we moved into our first house so we are now Virginians and oh, wow. okay. you know, Virginia now we, we are enjoying it. So we spent about 18 months renovating our first house to make wow. it wheelchair accessible. Um, it's been amazing. It was, a, it was a lot of work, but the hope was that it would just make life more comfortable, especially for Tom, help with his independence, help with just him being able to do more, help me more, be more part of our life. And that has been a really fun thing to start kind of exploring and getting to enjoy. So that's been a really cool uh, new chapter for us that we're really grateful for. Um, My business has really grown a ton this year. So that is kind of something fun on the horizon is thinking about what that looks like in this coming year. Yeah. I'm expanding that and growing that. Um, we have dreams of getting a dog now that we have a yard. Oh my God. So I like love your page. And like, little, <laughs> little pop, he's so sweet. So that is a dream. And I'm like, okay, oh. that's, that's probably on the horizon for us too. Um, 
we really love to travel. So hoping to get, get a little bit more of that in and have you guys been able to do any international travel since the honeymoon? (laughs) We have actually, um, which is still incredible to think about because it is very complicated now. Traveling (laughs) takes a ton of planning and logistical, um, concerns, but we were able to go on pilgrimage actually to Lourdes. Oh. Yeah. The Knights of Malta took us, um, very early on in Tom's recovery actually. Oh, wow. And oh, wow. we had that experience, which was unbelievable. Mm. And we also managed to go to Barcelona actually, um, a few years ago with a good friend of ours who is from there. And so we had a, we had a lot of kind of local insight and, that was awesome. So we're dreaming about other places. It's something we just really enjoy. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see, we'll see what that looks like, but we have so far made it overseas twice, which is pretty That's cool. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm curious. Cause you said you've been to France twice. Did you ever get to go to, um, Lisieux? We did not. Oh my gosh. You will just, I got to go there, uh, last summer and I think especially you would, delight in it so much because the house of Lewis and Sally Martin is stunning My and goodness. just seeing like you know I mean so, there's there's some things they have in there are just of the time period not their actual like furniture and stuff but just it's this beautiful brick state house and there's floral gardens and like there's just so much beauty you know and you know there's yes. all this interior beauty but there's this exterior beauty too which is it, it's, it's a contrast to like seeing you know poor Saint Bernadette like you know <laughs> You know, I mean, they're both amazing. You know, they're all amazing saints. But yeah, oh my gosh, Lisieux is just. I would love that. That'd be that would be incredible. Yeah, put it on the bucket list. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for for taking the time and, and sharing a lot about your story. I think, um, I think there can be a tendency to. I think there's two tendencies. One is to just like romanticize things, and the other one is just to sort of like say like well everything sucks and life is terrible <laughs> like you know and like you said there's this especially I think Catholics have a really balanced understanding of this of just like the joy and the suffering simultaneously like intertwined and and somehow able to like I you know the suffering can sort of like increase the joy or bring out different nuances in the joy and and you know I'm not being very articulate here but I just think like I don't know. I, I just I just think these are the stories that we need to hear to to see like, you know, all the ways that God can can move in our lives, even if it's not this like straight trajectory of like, you know, what everyone else's life looks like around us. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. And one of the things that drew me to my husband was I knew we would we were not going to have the average life. Mm. Um, I just knew <laughs> that about him. He's just not an average person and he <laughs> never has been. And so I was like, well, I know we're going to have an extraordinary life. I don't know what that looks like. And it has been extraordinary, right? It looks different, but it has been. And so um, I think, you know, we need to be more open to the surprises God has for us. They're not always easy, but the surprise is really part of the journey and the path. Um, And we don't get to know until eternity how all of this comes together, (laughs) but there is a plan. It does come together, right? He, he is holding us every every step of the way if we just stay faithful mm, beautiful beautiful well again thank you so much and definitely encourage everyone to to check out um natalie's page for some of her reflections and also uh district color studio because um that's a really cool thing i guess you like 
match people to the colors of like their features and their skin tones that they can like kind of bring out the best in their their yeah yeah, absolutely yeah we look looking for color that really complements natural beauty right so we look for natural harmony um it's just another beautiful way to kind of celebrate the beauty that god has put together um i've it's been really exciting work but i think it also is just a really it's a lovely way to kind of honor how each of us really are so unique in how we are created and and so intentionally made Mm, love it beautiful well, thank you again, Natalie, for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.